Hello, welcome to Suffolk Money. This is supported by Kingsfleet, providers of life-changing financial advice. There are three things that you can do with money. You can spend it, and so we want to talk to entrepreneurs and business leaders. You can save it, and therefore we'll incorporate financial experts. Uh, and you can give money away, in which case we want to be speaking with community groups and charities. So today we go on to the interesting subject of human resources, or HR as it's known. And we speak to Carol Berman, who is the founder of MAD HR. And if you're wondering what MAD stands for, you will find out in the early stages of our conversation with Carol. Carol has built this business over just a few years into something that is making a significant difference across Suffolk with businesses of all shapes and sizes. Carol has a very deep and long-standing connection with Suffolk, which we'll go on to hear. So please do enjoy our conversation with Carol from Mad HR. Carol, it is really great to have you with us today to talk about Mad HR, and we'll come back to what Mad HR makes reference to as well during the conversation. But um, how long have you been involved in HR as a whole? All my working life, I um, did a business and finance uh, degree um, and worked out very quickly. I don't like numbers, um, <laughs> but I what I was really lucky with was that the particular course that I did had a number of modules. One of the modules was personnel management. Um, and that was a thing that really um, excited me and I really absolutely adored. And I think that, that for me was the sort of that light bulb moment. I think like most 18, 19 year olds, when you're picking your option, you know, I, I thought, well, business and finance at that point, that will serve me well, just whatever career I decide to, to go down. But actually, for me, it was that epiphany that just went, actually, you know what, that really does float my boat. And it was, um, yeah, that was what set me on the path of that's what I want to do. Mm. I mean, maybe we'll come back to explore that career um, during the course of our conversation. But what about Mad HR? When did Mad HR start and how did it start? Um, it started by accident, in reality. Um, I had been working in HR in corporate life for um, quite some time. My last corporate role was working for Marshall over in Cambridge as their HR director. It was a role that I loved, um, but when you're in that bubble, you don't appreciate how all consuming it, it becomes in your life. And I was leaving home at six o'clock in the morning I was not getting home until 10 o'clock at night um, and I was hanging on the coattails of my CEO who was buying businesses like toffee um, and so I my mum at that point was quite seriously ill and I think you know I, I realized that I only have one life I only have one mum and I need to make a choice about how and where I spend my time um, I had a great you know it, it, was a, it was a job that I loved um, and afforded me a great lifestyle, um, but I'd saved lots of money and wasn't spending it because I just didn't have any time. And I just thought, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to leave and, and spend time with my mum. And the plan that I was working to was that I was hopeful 
that I could, you know, we could spend a year or two um, doing the things that we'd often always said, oh, we, if only we had time, we would do this. Um, but as it happened, um, when I made the decision to leave and I told my parents, um, my mum cheered. So that was sort of that thing of, oh, okay, I am making, you know, as I think as, a, as, as any child, when you're, you know, obviously you're looking, always looking for your parents' approval, but there is that moment of, you know, they're thinking, what have you done? Why have you done it? But when she cheered, it was just like, okay, I have made the right decision. Mm. Um, and I made a deal with my boss, um, which was that I wanted to work and continue to support Marshall until such time as we found my successor. But I did a handover and all I asked him to do was to put me on gardening leave as quickly as possible, which he was he was very gracious enough to to agree to and, and followed through on. But unfortunately, I lost my mum two weeks into my gardening leave. Mm. So even before my actual leaving date, um, she passed away. But I got two weeks with her that I would never have had. And I think that's the thing that I always remember. Um, and I think that in itself was quite a, uh, an important moment of going, OK, so now what am I going to do? And I, it would have been easy, you know, to have gone back and got a corporate role you know but um as beautiful as the county of Suffolk is it's not blessed with large employers that need senior HR directors um and I would have fallen back into that trap of becoming you know because I'm an all-in girl um so I would have fallen into that trap of being up at six in the morning on the road and not home until 10 o'clock but I also recognise, and, and I guess part of my background and my, my you know, experience growing up is that my parents had their own business. And that sort of got me thinking about, actually, if I was, I'm not afraid of hard work, but if I'm going to do something, let it be on my terms. Mm. Um, and so I said to my husband, I'm thinking of starting my own business um, and I'm thinking of calling it Mad HR. Um, he just went, okay. And I was, and, and there was part of me that was going, you know, he, he didn't question it, he didn't challenge it, he didn't ask, he just went, okay, that's that, you know, do what makes you happy. Um, why is it called Mad HR? Which probably mm, I think we need to ask that, we need to deal with that. Don't okay. We? Um, first and foremost, it is an acronym. So it stands for Make a Difference HR. Um, I recognise in calling my business that, it's a blessing and a curse because some people find it quirky, they find it interesting and it becomes like an earworm and they remember it. But I also recognise that for some people it's just like, oh, that sounds like it's a bit too off the wall. And, but, but actually the meaning behind it is it's about make a difference. But for the people that work in HR, you know, I've worked with a lot of HR people and there are some people who almost have fallen into that profession by default because they see it as a way of not having to deal with people. Um, really? and you'd be surprised, <laughs> Colin, you really would. Um, or they use a rule book as a thing to beat people with. And it's, and, and it's just, I, you know, I genuinely, I have a genuine belief that people come to work to do a great job. Sometimes stuff gets in the way that prevents them from being able to do that. And part of the skill of 
me and my team and, and is about drawing on our expertise to understand what is that thing that is preventing somebody from doing their best work. Um, and it can be a whole host of reasons. So it's a sort of it's trying to get into the psychology of it. And actually, that's where we bring our best selves. That's how we can really make that difference in understanding what is going on. So um, it means that when we're recruiting for our team, we're looking for a really special type of HR person, um, which does mean that we're not we're not normal. We're not the you know, we're not the one of the mill HR people. And that's what's helped us um, achieve the success that we have so far. Very good. And we'll come on to that success in a, in a moment. We'll explore that. If, if you don't mind, I just want to go back. I mean, it's quite a painful story in many ways, but I thank you for telling it so eloquently about your your mother. And, and you must deal with people who you see reflecting that lifestyle that you had before, where essentially everything is the business or their business or their work. And we we all can get huge amounts of pleasure and meaning from from business of course we can but how do you is there a way you can talk about that is there a way that you can bring your own experience or do you simply just take the view that that's somebody else's life it's not for me to to be part of that i i think it's really interesting when we i mean we work with businesses of all sizes and one of the things that always um brings a shall we say an inner smile to my face is hearing somebody who wants to start a business because they want to improve their work-life balance right and I, I always see my role is uh, uh, you know in helping to educate and inform them as to what it is that they think having their own business is going to do that enables them to improve their work-life balance because you know, we all start our businesses because we're passionate about what we do and how we do it and how we can support the clients that we serve. But also part of that means that in order to do that, you're constantly having to think about how you innovate, how you make yourself different, how you, uh, you know, bring in more clients to ensure that your team, you know, because being an employer is is a responsibility and it's wanting to make sure that you continually build a sustainable business um, and part of that challenge means that you know even now I don't work nine to five I've not met a business owner that ever does but the fact is, is it's about giving yourself the luxury of if you want to take an afternoon off then it's for you to manage your workload in order to make sure that you facilitate that but you've got to appreciate the work that does need to get done and I think that's probably one of the things I would say COVID has helped a lot of employers come to terms with that actually that's what you know that's when when we mean about people working flexibly it is about it's a contract between both the employer and the employee that says actually you know you know the work that needs to be done I'm quite open for you to work when you want to get done and so focus on the output not on the input mm. that's a really interesting point really interesting point and and likewise I think what COVID has done and again I'll value your views on this has seen people understand the fact that yes you know uh, uh, increasing our business increasing the success of our businesses is, is a really good thing but actually it, it for two years at least helped us focus on people and understanding that yes business is critical and business helps people in employment and creates welfare and wealth and so on but actually 
if you don't have happy employees, business can be really miserable. We, we've certainly observed that those businesses that really understood the importance of the culture of their business prior to the pandemic have certainly fared better during the pandemic than most. I think those that neglected it um, probably have, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the way in which the job retention scheme worked, the furlough scheme, meant that it bound people to stay with businesses for a period of time because then they could be assured that if their company needed to put them on furlough, um, then they, were they met the eligibility requirements. But of course, if people didn't feel that they were being treated well, as soon as that scheme came to an end, that's where you suddenly saw the great resignation, where people actually said, well, if that's how my business is prepared to treat me, then I'm, you know, I can vote with my feet. And, you know, we're really lucky that we, when we talk to our clients about how they approached it, it was about finding ways to ensure that you connected and you stayed in touch with people that were being fur furloughed to ensure that they still felt part of the business. Because actually, um, if you didn't, then people would then feel less valued and less part of something. and you know, it, it creates a disconnection where there shouldn't be one, um, especially when you're still paying part of their salary. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So that's worth probably us now talking about the types of support that you give to businesses, because um, my understanding is it's really quite diverse, both in the nature of the businesses that you work with, but also the way that you work with them. Mm -hmm. So summarize mad hr's business in an elevator pitch then if you <laughs> oh, okay right so we um the clue is in that is in the name mad hr at make a difference hr so you know there are a number of hr consultancies out there um and they all bring something special and uh, to businesses but the bit that we um really focus on is A, making sure that your business is compliant, because at the end of the day, that is the groundwork. When you're building a house, that is the groundwork you need to have in place in which everything else is built. But what we then do is we then overlay that with looking at all of the other sort of more traditional HR activity to make your business the best that it can possibly be. So we look at things like how you're recruiting, the induction, the onboarding process. We look at how you're managing performance. We're looking at what does the culture of your business say about you? Because sometimes there can be a, um, a disconnect between what the, the business owner thinks his employees or her employees feel about the business compared with actually how the employees really feel. Um, we look at employer brands. So if you're struggling to recruit, um, you know, you know, businesses spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on marketing their business but forget that actually sometimes you're also needing to market your business to potential employees as well and so we work with them on that and um, so we work with businesses from a whole plethora of different sectors and I would say that we're probably sector agnostic the wealth of our experience in our team is everything from public sector to private sector from charities through to big corporations and everything in between um, our client size is five employees through to biggest client is four and a half thousand employees. And our service 
adapt to whatever resource that they've got. So there are some businesses where we are the HR support in its entirety through to um, supporting internal people who have had HR responsibility thrust upon them because they couldn't move the, get out of the way quick enough. To those that actually want a career in HR and are learning, we do some mentoring in, in terms of helping them. Um, through to working with business owners and leadership teams as sort of a business partner, and then also working as their you know, portfolio HR director, if they're focused on a particular activity, so for example, they're planning um, to grow the business or go through a period of change, or they're looking to position their business to get it ready for sale, um, and want to get the best price for it. Because now when you're doing that, it's not so much about, um, you know, and it's interesting, we're, we're talking to some businesses who I think um, COVID has provided the business owner with an opportunity to go, and what do I want out of life? And we said, you know, so we work with a business owner to say, you know, your business, the value in your business is when what happens when you're not around. And so it's about, have you built a business that can sustain you not being around? Because that's where the value will be. And so it's all about what, what's their capability life of the team that they've brought in have they got systems and structure and process because that's what will attract a buyer to want to take that business on mm. um, but you'd be surprised a lot of business owners you know don't think that that's where the value will be and are now starting to realize that when they start talking to people about selling their business yeah yeah no i can i can well imagine so you are a team of how many now Cal? there are 11 of us <clears throat> and that's since when? When was the starting point? We started in 2014. Um, and I would, um, it's been, it started off very gradually. Um, and, this, and I would say in the last year, it, that's where we've really skyrocketed. Um, so for the first two years of the business, um, it was just me. Um, and I think that this was probably more about me trying to prove the concept of actually my brand of HR and this make a difference piece. Is that what Suffolk wanted? And I was, I was blessed really um, in that one of the very first people that I met and spoke to about what I was thinking was Paul Winter from Ipswich Building Society. Um, and he made it very clear to me that he, um, uh, you know how I how I remember it and I do remember it very fondly was Paul was oh I've been looking for somebody like you um I'm sure he will remember it slightly differently but it was a um, yeah I've been looking for somebody like you because he he was very clear he was looking to retire from the society um but he was also very conscientious in wanting to make sure that when it came to handing the baton on um to his successor that it was in the best possible shape that it could be so he was looking for somebody to work alongside him to look at its sort of HR strategy to um, implement some of the things that he had wanted to implement, um, but didn't necessarily have the expertise within the business and hadn't yet found it from other outsourcers, outsourcer providers. So I worked for them um, probably, I would say it was probably about a couple of years. Um, and whilst I was doing that, I was literally. Um, going to the opening of an envelope, you know, every networking event I went to, um, 
to just sort of start getting because by virtue of the fact I, I live just outside um, Ipswich but I all of my um, work community had been in Cambridge mm. or had been within the automotive retail sector so I didn't have the network of business connections that most business owners in this region start off with so I had to do that from the ground up so that could only be done by me literally going to every breakfast every lunch every evening activity I mean I literally ate myself around the ate my weight in the around the county to be honest Colin and <laughs> I think we first met at a breakfast actually Carol if I... <laughs> Fancy Full that, disclosure. Fancy that. <laughs> However, could that have happened? Um, and I think, you know, and even when you know people will always say to you, "And what is it that you do?" I always, even during those first two years, I always referred to, um, and we do this, um, you know, because I recognise the type of businesses. You know, what I didn't know was what I'd already done in my mind was worked out who is my ideal client profile. You know, a number of years down, that now they've given it, but I worked out that the type of businesses that I would want to work with would be businesses that would expect somebody, you know, that when it comes to HR support, they would want to deal with a company rather than an individual. So I registered the company um, as a limited company. I started PA, paying BAT um, before I'd reached the threshold. I did all of that stuff literally just to give the appearance of being a corporate business um, and but what I hadn't I guess appreciated was the transition psychologically from moving from a corporate role into now it being my business mm. um, and what I mean by that is when you are in corporate life people have to deal with you because of the job that you hold people have to deal with you but when you are now your business they're not judging you on or recognizing that they have to deal with you because of the job they've got. They're saying, do I know, like, and trust this person? Um, and I'm really lucky that I guess because of the way in which I've watched my parents run their business um, and the way in which I've brought up, I have come to appreciate and value how important building relationships is theme that I'm very lucky that actually people go, do you know what, quite quickly, yeah, I do know, like, and trust you, and let's have a conversation, and that has enabled the business to grow. Um, in 2016, so, um, and I would say probably that is um, an important year in um, MAD's development, in as much as that Charlotte, um, who is co-director of MAD, um, she and I used to work together at Marshall, she was part of my team, um, she was one of my HR business partners looking after um, our prestige division and she had left before I had to start a family. Um, her background was a consultancy um, but she decided to come in-house and we'd stayed in touch all the time she was having her family we'd stayed in touch. She'd had um, Teal, her second daughter by that stage and she reached out to me to meet for coffee and we met at Millstones which is now um, it's fair to say, um, Mad's second headquarters. Um, and we met for coffee and she just said, look, I'm loving what you're doing at Mad's um, and I want to come in um, and build it with you. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I know what a nightmare employees can go can, can be. I sort of 
I did say to her very openly, I'm not sure I'm ready. I'm, and we're ready for my first employee just yet. And she said, no, 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 I want to come in. I want to buy into the business. I want to have equity. I want to have grow this business with you because um, I think what you've got is very something very special. And I know that we can make it awesome, even more awesome than it is. And I, I labored over that decision for a little while, um, purely and simply because I wasn't sure that I was ready to co-parent. It was my baby and I wasn't sure that I was ready for that. But then when you sit back and look at it rationally, um, what I had done um, in working with you know, a client like Ipswich Building Society was just literally move from one corporate role into another corporate role. And if I wanted to build a business, then that was about me um, you know, recognizing that I, I needed to do something differently. And what I realized was that building something with somebody was much more, it floated, it excited me. It made me really enthused about building a company rather than just mm. having another job. And so Charlotte and I um, agreed, she bought, some, she bought some equity in the business and she started working part-time um, so that um, she could be available for her children. Um, but she'd always been very clear that, you know, the reason that she was doing what she was doing and coming in with Mad was because, you know, she loves being a mum. And, and I think most parents feel that if they're going to spend any time away from their children, it's got to be really compelling. Yeah. It's, got to, it's got to be something that feeds part of you as a person. And she said, and that's what I want Mad to do. That's what I want it to do so that mm. I am a better person. And by being a better person, that makes me a better mum. And so she started off working part time um, and it very quickly, um, the business grew and we realized that actually part time wasn't going to go quite, you know, we were, we were exceeding our capacity. So she then became full time. She came in with a bit more equity. And now I own the business 51%. She owns the business 49%. And that's because it felt right. We were both putting in our heart and soul um, and building it together. Um, and over time, we've brought in people some have worked some haven't um but in the last year um it's fair to say our team has grown we've we've had five recruits this year wow purely and simply because i think some of the stuff we talked about in terms of businesses is now starting to realize just focusing on employment law when it comes to your hr requirements isn't enough mm. um so the business has grown and we have brought together um a an amazing team of HR professionals who bring their A game every day. And I'm, mm. you know, we, we we got together quite recently and just watching them and hearing them talk and the pride that they feel in working for Mads. Um, that's that for me is just like the thing that just says actually do you know what okay what we've got is friggin awesome yeah. um and I don't underestimate how um I don't underestimate how much hard work it has been or indeed how much how much hard work it will be, continue to be but I also know that actually that's the bit for me that is really um as well as doing the great work for our clients knowing that we are creating something really special and that our team appreciate and understand that too 
Yeah, amazing. So in that, let's just turn the clock back a little bit to those first two years when it's just you. Mm-hmm. Um, who did you speak with when you wanted to sound off about something? Was there any person around you who you could say, oh, I've had this happen. What do you think I should do? You know, is there anyone you could sound things off? Or is that really where Charlotte came into her own? When that I, 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 I think that there reaches a point um, where... Uh, you know, I, I I love my husband dearly, but when there is a time whereby he just doesn't understand what I do, he's an engineer by trade. So, you know, when, when it's, you know, it's about, for him, it's about logic and structure and order. And, and of course, the whole thing with people is that they're not always rational. They're not always yeah. logical. Yeah. So, um, but I'm lucky that my, you know, although my dad has never worked in HR, he's been a, a studier of people. Mm. um and I think you know to have worked as a uh, as a police officer to have worked as a publican um he then went into um aviation training where he was training um air and cabin crew on you know what to do in the event of a terrorist you know the stuff that he has done is just like you know he has always been somebody that I've always come to rely on that's I'm thinking about doing this or you know this is what happened what would you reckon and he's always been very honest with me you know he is my critical friend but he will always do it with a kind heart and that I you know I really appreciate so yeah that's really important I think especially in the early stages of a business to have somebody that you can just talk to about things yeah um and, and sometimes actually you need someone who as you say will be critical because sometimes that first employee or early employees are thinking or oh, I'm here I'm the only person I can't disagree or else I'm out the door um, so having somebody who will um, provide criticism hopefully positively um, is really important at the early stages of a business it, it is and I think that for me was really important as to when making the decision and agreeing for Charlotte to come and join the business we are very different people um you know I we laugh and joke you know in in she is the ant to my deck or whichever way around you know we are very very different people um however if you open us up and look inside us from a values point of view we are absolutely aligned um and that for me is that, you know, we've never, it's interesting, we, have, we come at things from a different point of view. Um, and sometimes we've never had an argument. Sometimes we come at things from a different point of view. Um, but then actually, as we're having the conversation, we will come around to the other side and then we'll find that we're still talking about it. And then realizing that well, actually what's happened is we stopped listening to one another. And actually, we're agreeing about exactly the same point now. We've, it's come full circle. Yeah. But the fact is, is that when it comes to the decisions that we make for MAD, we do them together. We talk about them. Everything that we do is very considered. And that's the thing, I think, for me that I love about, you know, and for me, the part of the reason of why I've, you know, really enjoyed the last six years has been it's the best decision I ever made. Um, and I do tell her that. Um um, she thinks I'm, jo- I'm joking I genuinely am not it's the best decision that I made because it felt like I was building something with somebody mm. um, whereas you know and I think part of what we do now is when we're working with business owners is 
you know, you, you work in a similar space to us in terms of, you know, the relationship that you have with business owners is that they know, like, and trust you from your, you know, to bring your A game and to bring your area of expertise to, to benefit them and their business. However, as a consequence of that confidence that they have in you, they then talk to you about other stuff that is going on in their life. And it's not that they're looking for you to provide them with advice or guidance. Sometimes they just want to get it off. And, and mm. you know, that ability, I mean, I've got some clients, um, you know, we, we laugh where, you know, they will, they will ring up on a Friday afternoon that says, I need to lie on the psychotherapist's couch. Mm. Is it available? Yeah. And it is literally that ability to just go, this is what's going on in my world. And I just need you to talk it. I just need to talk it through yeah. with somebody who's not going to make any judgment. And I think yeah. that's the thing that, you know, all of our team are blessed with because they are seasoned senior HR professionals who come with lots of commercial acumen. That means that actually they can ask the right questions of business owners to help them reach their own conclusion about what needs to be done. But it's not that they're saying, oh, and this is what you need to do, because that's not what HR's role is. It's about mm -hmm. making sure that the business owner is considering things from all different perspectives to ensure that whatever decision they make is coming from the best place possible. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, what, what are the big issues in HR at the moment? What are the things that, that perhaps employers out there should be thinking about or, um, or need to be mindful of? I think certainly from the clients that we work with, um, you know, much like people's home lives, their cost of doing business has gone up. You know, everything has increased. Um, and so what they're doing is, is they're looking at every facet of their business to ensure that everything is giving a return on investment. So we're working, um, you know, some of our clients have moved and transitioned their business so that all of the team are now working remotely. Um, and some of them are working in a in very much a hybrid environment and then there are some who absolutely everything is still working in 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 the office or in the in the manufacturing plant or whatever you know it's at the office building um and what they're they're reaching out and saying to us is look i need to know that you know i don't want to make redundancies but i do need to know and look at how I'm measuring and managing performance. How do I know? And a lot of that stems back to what I said earlier. People don't come to work to do a bad job, but what they've got to do is to be ensuring that the time that they are spending at work is being spent on the right things that bring the best value. And the only way that that can happen is if the leader or the manager of that individual is providing them with direction getting their commitment so that there is a clear understanding about what that individual needs to do. And then that um, progress in achieving whatever that may be continues to be ongoing to ensure that both parties understand that they're going to end up with the same outcome, the, the right outcome. All too often we, you know, we pick up situations whereby, you know, somebody will say, you know, I'm dealing with somebody who's just not doing what I'm asking them to do. And why do they not do it? And it's often a bit this, disconnect between what the business owner thinks they're saying and how the other person is receiving that message so the ability to be able to say to the person okay so if I'm asking you now to tell me what the task is that I've just now given you 
can you describe it for me? Mm. And then that's the way of being able to get them to replay it back to you to make sure that there is that clarity of understanding of A, what the task is um, and when it needs to be completed by it. And it might be that part of the progress checks that you do is, are they doing it in the way in which you would like it to be done, but recognising that you do want people to be empowered rather than to be told exactly how a job needs to be done. Absolutely, yeah, because you can't be on their shoulder every minute of every and day. And nor should you be, because yeah. that, that just means that actually you just become the devil or the angel on their shoulder, and then all of the other stuff that you, as the business owner or a leader, need to be doing in the business will never get done because you're too busy managing the... Micromanaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Nobody wants to do that. No, no, that's right. So I'm intrigued then about how you then got into HR because um, it seems such a huge, broad subject. Um, so back in the day when I was at school, we had to do a uh, like a careers um, questionnaire, and it went through some mainframe computer that probably existed at the time. It was probably the size of the library or, or something, and churned out this thing that for me said it would be connected with money and all these sorts of things. Did you have a similar moment or was there something else in your life that suggested you said that you obviously were at university, but yeah. uh, was that it while you were at university that it became really clear to you? It, it was very clear, I think, from, you know, you know I, I remember sort of that careers, careers advisory service, too, and I, I think probably um, Whatever I whatever I was going to do, I remember it. it. I don't remember distinctly it saying that it needs to be you know this job, but it was certainly something that was going to be with people. Um, I mean, I I loved as I was sort of going through secondary school. I loved languages. Um, um, so you know, at A level, I took English and French. Um, I remember you know I used to when I was at school when we did religious education, we didn't do sort of about Christianity, we did all about different types of religion. And I absolutely loved, because again, it was about people. It was about what, and, and you know, there was a time when my dad always used to joke with me and said, you know, you're going to become a bilingual nun. That's what you're going to become because of my love <laughs> of languages and, and, and RE. And, um, but actually, you know, it was, I, and, and again, I think these are very different times, but when I grew up, I had my first job when I was 14. I worked in a news agents. You know, I was, um, when I was 16, I was selling ice creams on, on the Bognor Regis seafront. You know, when I was 17, I started working at Tesco's. And just throughout, you know, um, while I was doing my A-levels, I continued to work at Tesco's. When I got went to university, I got a transfer and I then started managing, working on the customer service desk at Tesco's. So, you know, I always had, you know, I learned about communication. I learned about how to deal with people. And I think that that for me is such a shame about how kids are now growing up because, you know, so few of them have Saturday jobs mm. um, in the way that I remember. And I think yep. that, that for me taught me so many life skills that have really served me well throughout my career. And, you know, certainly when we're working with schools or universities, you know, one of the things, you know, that we always talk about is don't underestimate, you know, having the academic qualifications really, you know, is a great way of being able to demonstrate your competence to either retain information or to demonstrate it in some way. But actually all of those soft skills play such an important part in how successful you are about being able to use that underpinning knowledge to bring something. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, find ways in which you can build your communication skills or, um, you know, whether it be that you play sports and it's can you take on additional responsibilities to ensure that you're not missing those opportunities as you grow up. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad we have something else in common apart from the love of breakfast. Um, <laughs> that uh, spending the sixth form also working in Tesco's, where Tesco's in Felixstowe. And, and again, for me, that was um, taught me so much of just working with people, listening to the public, hearing what they're actually asking you, um, making sure that things are right and look good and presented well. And yeah, really important life skills. I think the other, uh, you know, I think also um, that getting that corporate experience again very early on, you know, I'd worked for, you know, owner managed businesses, you know, with the news agent. I had worked with, you know, the um, and and from the seafront. But that thing about suddenly now working in a corporate role meant that okay, I now understand. Okay, so they had a personnel manager. So ah oh, right, okay. and it just enabled me that access of seeing what people did, what roles were. Mm -hmm. So when I actually went to and picked my course at university, I could see, okay, yeah, it was very clear what financial accounting was going to be. It was very clear what business was going to be in corporate law and what. And and so when I picked my course, um, I made sure then that it covered the range of things that would give me the breadth to enable me to make sure that actually I was going to come out of it with a better, hopefully again with a degree, but also a better understanding about actually what does float my boat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It gives someone at a young age um, a link, uh, an understanding of what's going on in, as you say, corporate world. That's, that is, I've never thought of that before. That is so true, so true. So the other thing that we probably then need to touch on, because it's a very big part of your life, is football. Mm-hmm. And how that seems to run as a vein through everything you've done and some pretty big life decisions as well. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, I was, I was my, my dad hails from Suffolk. So... Um, we were brought up as Ipswich Town supporters, um, which can be a blessing and a curse for anybody that supports Ipswich Town. Um, but the fact is, is that, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s where, you know, I was, you know, we didn't live in Suffolk. So we lived in um, sort of, I was born in the East End of London. So I, I should by birth probably have been a West Ham fan. But um, um, but we then moved on to the outskirts of um, sort of Essex and we lived in Raynham and you know very proud of being an Ipswich Town fan because at that time we were winning FA Cups and we were playing in Europe and and it was just an amazing time um, and I'd always you know it, it's always been there in my life as a constant but when I um, as my career evolved and I sort of um, moved around the country for different jobs I found myself my sort of in Kent and I um because the beginning of my HR career I'd worked in retail so I'd always worked you know part of working in retail is you accept that Saturday is a working day so but the moment I left retail the first thing I did was I bought my season ticket and I used to come to every home game which um when you consider that that would have been in the late 
uh, late 90s, before we just before we got promoted, but it was in the late 90s. You know, there were times whereby that was a very long drive home on a midweek game. Yeah. To the point whereby I was going, what am I doing? I'm, that I'm was you know. Start for tunnel time as well, wasn't it? Before it the was, bridge and all that. It was, yeah. it was not good. It was not good. But, um, you know, I think like any Ipswich Town fan, you know, you ride the, the part of the joy and the pain is, is, is the journey of being an Ipswich Town fan. So I, um, I, I bought my season ticket, used to travel up. Um, and at that time, I the person that picked my season ticket was a very dear friend, and he worked at the club. He was um, the club accountant. He bought he bought he chose where my season ticket was, um, and I found myself sitting next door to um, a delightful young lady called Laura, um, and got chatting to her. And what I didn't know was that she was coming with her sister, who sat a couple of seats along, and her dad, um, and her dad is um was a, a lovely man called Ben and I started to talk to them before and, and football and of course I had to apologize to them every time I was late on an evening fixture because I've been stuck on the A12 um and the more I spoke to Ben um he'd been divorced a, a couple of years before I, I got to know him and the more I spoke to him I thought actually he's a really nice man and we just kept talking and then we went out on our first date and yeah then um we dated for probably two or three years where he would come down to Kent I would come up to Suffolk um, and then in at that time I was working for Safeway um, and I was their national training and development manager and I was looking after their distribution centres throughout the UK and I don't know whether you remember but there was a um, there was a long period in Safeway's history or, or it, was, it felt like a long time when you're in it where Morrison's were wanting to buy the business. And of course, it was having to go through the Monopolies and Mergers Commission and the Office of Fair Trading, because essentially it was bringing together, I think, the fifth largest supermarket and the third largest supermarket. And there was a concern for the competition law perspective. Um, and, uh, you know, because all of my career, although I'm an HR professional, you know, I come at it from, you know, using my commercial nouns and what I'd worked out very quickly was that if this were likely to go ahead and Morrison's did purchase Safeway, then Morrison's have got to justify from a share price point of view that it's been a good decision. And the only way that they can do that is probably by stripping out all of what they see as being the unnecessary cost. Mm. And so, um, yeah, when Morrison's it became clear that that was going to happen I just said to Ben look I think I'm going to be looking for another job and he said what do you mean and I said well I think that my role is likely to be made redundant um and it was that point whereby he just said well where do you think you're going to be looking for another job and I said well I live in Kent you know London's not that far away you know and he said oh he said you know and then that was when the conversation started to move too well um had you thought about perhaps coming up to Suffolk you know how would you feel about moving in with me so um again being quite independent well I'm not moving I'm not moving until I've got a job you know I, I don't I don't you know I'm not a kept woman I, I don't want to do anything until I've got a job <laughs> and that was where I started working at Marshall um and so through my love of Ipswich Town I met Ben um we were together for 10 years and then we've been married now for 13 years so we've been together for over 20 odd years 
Um, I can't sit next door to him at football. This is always a lot. Yeah, we still, even, even. The superstitions continue even now. No, it, it's not that, it's not so much a superstition, because trust me, <laughs> you'd, you'd think after all of the journey to Ipswich Town, you'd think we'd have earned some luck as a result <laughs> of following through on that superstition for 20 odd years. He's just a nightmare to sit and watch football with. Oh, I see, right. Every, every ball, he's kicking it virtually. And he's yeah. just a nightmare. So I, I still refuse to sit next door to him. <laughs> it always makes the people around us, although we've moved um, our seat, um, you know, there, are, there is always sort of two or three people between us and they always look at us as we arrive together and go to our seats and they always say, <laughs> would you like us to move up? And I say, God, no. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near him. <laughs> exactly. And I think, that, I think that's probably why it's, so, you know, it's, it's managed to stand the test of time and be together for 23 years. Oh, but, lovely. Think, but yeah, so it's brought me that joy of, and I think also, um, you know, it's provided me with an outlet to vent and scream and, and get frustrated, but it isn't about work. And I think that everybody in life needs something else that, you know, gives them something that, um, you know, provides them with that joy and sometimes despair, but mostly joy. At the fact that actually you can um you can you can make a point of going and enjoying it now unfortunately for the last year i haven't been to a game um a live game i've watched it on iFollow because we've we've um we, we we got a labrador puppy and i um said to ben look you go you go to the matches it's fine i'll stay and look after millie but um yeah i do live vicariously because i know how bad he's gonna how badly <laughs> i can tell how badly he's they play why velocity with which the front door closes it's usually an indication um but but no it's it's you know it's brought me it, it's enabled me to be the love of my life and has provided me with um moments of joy as well as despair but i always remember the moments of joy more than anything else fantastic brilliant lovely well i think that's probably a, a nice way to to end your happy uh, marriage uh, brought together by ipswich town and um, the tutting as you arrived uh, late. Yeah, far too much tutting. <laughs> Midweek home games. Well, there we go. It's developed it much more. And Carol, thank you so much for the information and the background and the stories from Mad HR, how you started that and have built that. Obviously, subsequent to Charlotte arriving as well, uh, the two of you have built that into something really quite fantastic that's uh, got a great reputation across the county. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. So thank you so much to Carol uh, from Mad HR, Carol Berman, for her time in uh, giving us a background to the work that she's been doing and her connections with Suffolk over all these years. Thank you so much for listening to today's uh, Suffolk Money podcast, which is supported by Kingsfleet. Please do subscribe. Uh, and if you possibly can, give us a five-star rating so that others can discover the stories that we bring to you from Suffolk. I'm very grateful to Joy Day for working on our website to ensure that our visuals and online presence is correct, and to Sally Birch and Kevin Birch for their skills in booking speakers and producing the finished article which you have just heard. Please do join us next time on the Suffolk Money Podcast.